Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge more light, and more love. Hello! Welcome back. Another week has gone by. The sands of time are slipping very fast down that cosmic hourglass, and we're back with another lecture episode. So essentially, here is the deal. We had a guest that was scheduled to be interviewed this week. His name is Don Webb. Unfortunately... Don Webb had some medical issues. He survived. He's okay. But we had to reschedule our interview to another time. A time where he's physically back to perfect health. Or at least as healthy as he can be now. So because of that, we're doing an unscheduled lecture episode. Now, I always have those seven episode sandwiches, the beyond the news sandwiches. Every seven episodes is a beyond the news episode. And in between that, what I like to call the beyond the news sandwich are six episodes. I like to organize those episodes in such a way that it's mostly interviews and just a couple lectures. Eventually, I would like this show to be all interviews and be on the news. We're not there yet, but this sandwich, (laughs) we're going to be a little lecture heavy because of the fact that we are down a guest this week. Now, if you've listened to me talk about this before, I don't like to have a lot of episodes stacked up with different guests just saved on my hard drive. Because I like to keep the freshness, I like to keep the energy, the rhythm, the weekly rhythm going in the same way that we're listening. So I really only like to be two, maybe three episodes at the most ahead or sometimes right on the edge. And this moment, uh, we were (laughs) right on the edge. So again, we're doing a lecture episode with Carl Jung. That's right. The father of modern psychology, the legend, Carl Jung, is going to come back on the show. We did a lecture episode with him in January of 2022, several episodes ago. But we're bringing him back. I found another really rare interview that we want to encode in the Midnight on Earth bubble matrix whatever it is, we're bringing Carl Jung in and uh, with me as always, just like last week with Louise. Hey, now she's back again next week. She's always here with me. My guest co-host when she's here, Bryn Anderson of vinyl force herbs. Hello, Bryn. Hey, how's it going? Will you help me wish the author Don Webb a speedy recovery? And let's all take a second and send healing energy to the author Don Webb, who 
who is going to come on the show this week. We're going to send him some healing energy. Get better, Don. Come back on the show. I don't know you yet, but I bet you're a great person. All of my guests have been amazing. I'm sure you're equally as cool, and we love you because you're our fellow human. So get better, Don Webb. So we're back again, Brad. What do you think about that? Yes, uh, sending out uh, healing energy to Don Webb. I'm sorry that he wasn't able to make it and that he fell ill. Yes, but that's okay. He's still alive and here with us. Unlike Carl Jung, who graduated actually in 1961. So he's been gone for a while. What do you think about another Carl Jung experience? I think it sounds great. I was actually just thinking about him the other day. So it was funny that you brought that up. I was like, oh, hey, I was just, uh, yeah. Is it because he's so attractive? Like you were thinking (laughs) he's the archetypal man? and No, actually, it was because I was listening to a lecture by someone else in my own time, not on Midnight on Earth. And she was talking about how her parents were dream analysts and... Uh, so she grew up around the kitchen table, like talking about uh, Carl Jung's dream analysis with her parents. And it was really interesting. So anyways, um, then you uh, said, hey, come over and listen to this with me. And here we are, serendipity. Yes. And I just recently found out that Carl Jung's grandfather was the second leader of the Grand Lodge of Freemasonry in Switzerland. So they established the Grand Lodge there. And he was the second guy that was running the show. So, Oh, wow. That is interesting. Freemasonry was a huge influence on Carl Jung, it seems, as he developed his individuation theories and all the different things that he brought into our <laughs> collective consciousness and unconsciousness, all the above. So we're going to do another uh, Carl Jung episode. So pretty cool. One thing I want to say before we do that. Go to patreon.com slash midnight on earth. Check out the Patreon page, different tiers of support. Pick a tier of support that you can handle. Help me do this, people. I need your help. I'm asking for your help. That's what Patreon is. It's an interface between help and you and me. And they do that. And I need you to help me get this podcast to be as big as any podcast that's ever been before the biggest podcast of all time let's make midnight on earth the greatest podcast of all time with the most human listenership because of the incredible information that's encoded into here think of the guests what we talk about what we've all learned together from our guests that are in this dimension or the graduated guests in our lecture episodes we've learned so much Let's get it out there to all the humans on this wonderful planet, the beautiful planet Earth. So patreon.com slash midnight on Earth. And also, if you haven't yet, please follow me on Instagram. I know a lot of you do not like to interface with the 3D matrix and the apps and all of that, but you love my words. You're, You're still listening to me on the internet. I appreciate that. Thank you. But if you have those apps, just take one second and follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth, Spotify, Apple podcast, Google podcast, wherever you go to get your podcast, click that button that connects us. So, you know, when these episodes are released instantly, 
And perhaps that's the moment when you can listen to it. So, you know, and tell a friend, tell your neighbors, tell your family members, tell everyone you possibly know or have ever known, send them psychic messages through the ether. Let's get them here. Tell them about this place, our show, our show, not just my show, not the guests show, though it is when they're on. And it's not just your show, it's our show, all of us, the guests, the hosts, the listeners. This is what Midnight on Earth is. So tell everyone you know, bring them here, midnightonearth.com. Okay. And I found out recently, really quick, people, that one of my guests, a previous guest, has graduated to the next dimension, and I was his final interview. So I'd like to give a brief shout out to Soren Dreyer, who was all the way back in episode 43, May of 2021. He graduated to the next dimension in January of 2022. And I'm very honored to say that our conversation was his last recorded interview. He had a 30 year career guiding people all over the world into higher states of being killer interview. It was so good. Episode 43. Check it out. Just want to say thank you to Soren Dreyer who has graduated into the next dimension. I believe our first guest that has uh, appeared on this show and then left us to further their life path. So bless you, Soren Dreyer. Just wanted to say that shout out to him over in that place. <laughs> and now on to Carl Jung. Uh, let's read his bio people. Carl Gustav Jung born July 26, 1875 graduated June 6th. 1961 was a Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who founded analytical psychology. Young's work has been influential in the fields of psychiatry, anthropology, archaeology, literature, philosophy, and religious studies. Young worked as a research scientist at the Bergazzoli Psychiatric Hospital in Zurich, under Eugen Bluler. Jung established himself as an influential mind of his time, developing a friendship with Sigmund Freud, founder of psychoanalysis, conducting a lengthy correspondence, still paramount to their joint vision of human psychology. He is highly regarded as one of the most influential psychologists of all time and everybody loves him right the magical people the spiritual people the occult people the big thinkers they all love carl jung he really taught humanity a lot by just thinking about it so this interview Bryn, was in 1957 and it is with psychologist Richard Evans and it's taking place in Zurich, Switzerland. So it sounds like it's just a few years before he died or graduated. I should say. Interesting. So he's being interviewed. That's right. So somebody's taking the workload off of me this time. 
and probably asking questions that aren't as good as I would ask. But naturally, we don't have the soul phone yet. I'm waiting to interview those guys. It exists. Let me tell you people, the soul phone exists. But we're not there yet. So this is what we got. This is what we have. This is how we interface with Carl Jung. And if you've never listened to a lecture episode, perhaps you didn't even listen last week when we had the incredible Louise Hay. Bryn and I are listening and taking notes with you as you listen to this. And then after this interview, we talk about what we heard, what we learned. We compare notes. We talk about our notes. And then we close the episode. So we're all there together during this talk. And then we reconvene at the end. Join us. How do you feel about that? I want you to be there. I can't hear you, but I can feel you. All you people listening and hearing my voice right now. We're all doing this together through the time space continuum. And we're pulling Carl Jung into our vortex. So there you go. (laughs) Bryn, how do you feel? You have your pen and paper ready? Are you ready? I am ready. She's ready. Okay, so here we go, people. I hope you're ready, too. This is from 1957, Zurich, Switzerland, Richard Evans, and Carl Jung. So, Dr. Jung, uh, we have been discussing uh, in some detail some of the factors in the development of the personality of the individual, and you have very kindly uh, elaborated for us uh, on some of your fundamental concepts, such as the uh, archetype and at least simply what it means in certain types of archetypes such as the anima and the animus. And we try to show, perhaps in our discussion, some of the ways that your ideas may have differed from those of Dr. Freud. Now, another uh, concept or idea that seems to be a very interesting one in your work, at least as I see it, is the term or concept persona. And of course, uh, this seems to have a, a lot of relevance to the the daily living of the individual. I wonder if you would uh, mind telling us a little bit about how you uh, construe this term persona. Well, this is a a practical concept we need uh, in elucidating people's relation. Um, I noticed uh, with my uh, uh, patients, particularly with uh, people that are in, uh, in public life, that they have a certain way of uh, presenting themselves. Uh, for instance, take the doctor. He uh, has a, a certain way, for instance, he has good bedside manners. And, and uh, uh, he behaves as one as expects a doctor behaves. He may even identify himself with it and, uh, and believe that he is what he appears to be. Yeah. Uh, he must appear in, in a certain form, unless uh, people don't believe that he's a doctor. And so when he's a professor, he's also supposed to behave in a certain way so that it is plausible that he is a professor. I don't know. So the persona is partially uh, the result of the demands society has. And on the other side, it is a, a, a compromise with what one likes to be or with what or as one likes to appear uh-huh. say yeah um so uh, uh, take for instance uh, a parson he also has his particular manner and uh, as corresponding to the general expectation 
and he behaves also in uh, in another way, combined with his persona, that is forced upon him by society in such a way that also his fiction of himself, his idea about himself, uh, is more or less uh, portrayed or uh, represented. Uh, so the persona is a certain, certain complicated system of behavior which is partially dictated by society and partially dictated by the expectations of the wishes uh, one nurses oneself. Yeah. Uh, now, this is not the real personality, in spite of the fact that people will assure you that it, that is all quite real and uh, quite honest, yet it is not. Yeah. Now, uh, such a uh, performance or, say, yeah, the performance of the, uh, of the persona uh, is quite all right as long as you know that you are not identical with the way in which you appear. Yeah. But uh, if you are unconscious of this fact, then you uh, get into uh, sometimes very disagreeable conflicts, namely people will can't help noticing that at home, for instance, you are quite different from what you appear to be in public. Yeah. And people who don't know it uh, stumble over it in the end. Uh, they deny that they are like that, but they are like that. They yeah. are it. And then you don't know, now, which is the real man? Yes. Yeah. Is he the man as he is at home or in intimate relations? Or is he uh, the man that appears in public? It is a question of Jekyll and Hyde. Yes. Often, it is such a, uh, occasionally there is such a difference that you would almost be uh, able to speak of uh, the uh, double personality. Yeah. And the more that is pronounced, the more people uh, people are neurotic. Yeah. They get neurotic because they have two different ways. They are contradict themselves all the time, and then there's, then as much as they are unconscious of themselves, they don't know it. They think they are all one. Everybody sees that they are two. Yeah. And some know him only from one side, so others know him only from the other side. And then there are situations that clash, because the way you are creates certain situations in, with people in the relations, and these, these two situations don't chime in. They, they are just dissonances. And, uh, and the more that is the case, the more the people are neurotic. Actually, would you say that the individual may even have more than two personas? In other words, would he, could he possibly... Uh, oh, rarely. No, we can't afford uh, it uh, very well to play more than two roles. But there are, there are cases, for instance, where people have up to five different personalities yeah. in cases of, of dissociation of personality. Where, for instance, the one person, say, call it person A, doesn't know of the existence of the person B, but B knows of A. Yes. Or there may be a third personality, C, that doesn't know of the two others. Yes. You see, there are uh, such cases in literature. Yeah. They are, but they are rare. Very the rare. The ordinary cases is just an ordinary 
dissociation of a personality. Uh, one calls that a systematic dissociation in contradistinction to the chaotic or uh, unsystematic dissociation you find in schizophrenia. Now, uh, you distinguish between uh, the term persona, the term persona, and the term ego. In other words, as you see them, they're two different things. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Now, what is the difference between the term ego, as you see it, and the term well, persona? Well, you see, the, the ego is supposed to be the representative of the real person. But as I say, for instance, in the case where B knows of A, but A doesn't know of B, yeah. in that case, one would say the ego is more on the side of C, yeah. because the ego has a more complete knowledge, and yeah. A is a, uh, a split of personality. Yeah. Now, you also use the term self. Yes. Now, uh, the word self, and uh, would this have a different meaning than, say, ego or oh, yes, oh, yes. Right. oh, yes. You see, uh, when I say self, then you mustn't think of I myself, because that is only your empirical self, and yeah. that is covered by the term ego. ego yeah. But when it is matter of the self, then it is matter of a personality that is more complete than the ego, because the ego is only consists of what you are conscious of. Yes, yes. Your awareness. Yeah. What you know to be yourself. Yes. Uh, for instance, in our example, B that knows A, and A doesn't know B, B is uh, relatively in the position of the self. Yeah. Namely, uh, the self is on the one side the ego, on the other side the unconscious personality, which everybody pos uh, is in the possession of everybody, not in the possession. Very often it is just the other way around, that the unconscious is in possession of consciousness. Yeah. Uh, but that is a, diff a different case. Now, uh, you see, while I am talking, I am conscious of what I say, yeah. I am conscious of, of myself, yet only to a certain extent. Uh, quite a, a lot of things happen. Uh, once I make gestures, I am not conscious of them. Yeah. They happen unconsciously. You can see them. Yeah. Uh, I may say or use words, and I can't remember at all having used those words, or even at the moment I'm not conscious of them. Yes. So, uh, any amount of unconscious things occur in my conscious condition. I'm never wholly conscious of myself. Yeah. Uh, while I'm trying, for instance, to elaborate an argument, <laughs> at the same time, there are unconscious processes that continue, perhaps a dream, which I have had last night. Yeah. Or uh, a part of myself thinks of God knows what. Yeah. Or of a trip I am going to take, or of such and such people I have seen, or when I am at a, uh, say, a, a writing a paper, I am continuing writing that paper in my mind without knowing it. Yeah. <coughs> You can discover these things, uh, say, <coughs> in dreams, or if you are clever in uh, immediate observation of an individual, then you see in the gestures or in the expression in the face that there is an uh, what one calls in arrière pensée, yeah. something behind consciousness, yeah. so that you you have finally the feeling. Uh, 
Well, that man has something up his sleeve. Yeah. And you can even ask him now, what, you're, what are you really thinking of? You're thinking all the time something else, yet he's not conscious of it. Or he may be. There are, of course, great individual differences. There are individuals who have amazing knowledge of themselves, of the things that go on in themselves. But even those people wouldn't be capable of knowing what is going on in their own consciousness. Because yeah. they are not conscious of the fact that while they live a conscious life, all the time a myth is played in the unconscious. A myth that extends over centuries. Yeah. Namely, uh, uh, archetypal ideas, a stream of archetypal ideas that goes on through one individual through the centuries. You see, it, 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 it is like a continuous stream, and that comes into the daylight in the great movements. Yeah. Say, in, in political movements or in uh, spiritual movements. Um, for instance, in the time before Reformation, uh, people dreamt of the great change, and that's the reason why uh, such great transformations could be predicted. Uh, if uh, somebody has been clever enough uh, to see what is going on in people's mind, in the unconscious mind, yeah. uh, uh, would be able to predict it. For instance, I have predicted the Nazi rising in Germany uh, through the observation of my German patients. Yeah. They had dreams in which the whole thing was anticipated. Yes. Uh, and, and with considerable detail. And I was already absolutely certain in, in, in the years before Hitler, before Hitler came in the beginning of, the, well, I could, uh, could say the year, in the year 1919, I was sure that something was threatening Europe, something very big and very catastrophic. And I only knew it through the, through the observation of the, of, of the, of the unconscious. You see, there is something very particular in the different nations. This is a, a peculiar fact that the archetype of the anima plays a, ve uh, a very great role in Western literature, French and Anglo-Saxon, yeah. not in Germany. Yeah. There are exceedingly few examples in German literature where the anima plays a role. Yeah. You know, that simply comes from the fact that not woman, not one woman, is buried uh, unless she is buried as alt kaminfegers kati at least. She must have a title, otherwise she hasn't existed. And so you see, it is just as if, now mind you, this is a, a bit drastic, but it illustrates my point. Uh, in Germany, there are no women. There is Frau Doktor, Frau Professor, uh, uh, Frau Kommerzienrat, uh, the grandmother, the, the, the mother-in-law, the, the grandfather, father, the son, the daughter, the sister. No. La femme. So next is the pop. Well, uh, it is the idea, you see. Now that is a, a, an enormous. Uh, but no, it's an important fact.
which shows that in the German mind there is going on the particular myth, something very particular. Yeah. And uh, uh, psychologists really should look out for these things. Yeah. But they, they prefer to think that I am a prophet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, just in the same context as Jerry, this is the first very interesting, remarkable uh, set of statements here. Uh, how would you look at Hitler in this light? Uh, would you see him as a personification, a symbol of the father? No, 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 not at all. No, no, you see, I, I, I couldn't uh, possibly uh, explain that very complicated act of Hitler represents. It is, uh, it is too, too complicated, you know, he's a hero figure. Yeah. And the hero figure is far more important than any fathers that have ever existed. Much broader than much no, broader he than the media Not at all. He was a hero. Yeah. In the in, in the German myth. Yeah. And mind you, a religious hero. He was a savior. Yeah. Yeah. He was meant to be a savior. That is why they put uh, his photo on up on the altars. Yeah. Even. Yeah. Or uh, somebody declared of his tombstone so that he is uh, happy to uh, that his eyes have beheld. Uh, 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 Hitler. Yeah. And now he kept lying in peace. <laughs> so he's just the hero beast, you know. Now, uh, getting back to the idea of the self, and the self incorporates these unconscious uh, factors. The self incorporates these unconscious the factors. The self is merely a term that designates the whole personality. Whole personality. Because the whole personality of man is indescribable. Yes. He, he, his consciousness can be described, his unconscious cannot Not be described right. because the unconscious, as I must repeat myself, yes. is always unconscious. Yeah. And is really unconscious, <laughs> really does not know it. <laughs> and so we don't know our, uh, our unconscious personality. We have hints, we have uh, certain ideas, but uh, we don't know it really. Nobody can say where man ends. That is the, the beauty of it, you know. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, the unconscious of man can reach God knows where. There we are going to make discoveries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, another uh, uh, set of ideas, which of course are very, very well known to the world, that of course you have originated, center around the, the terms introversion and extroversion. Yeah. And I know that uh, you're aware of the fact that uh, these terms have now become so widely yeah. known that yeah. the man on the street is using these terms constantly in describing his wife or his friends and so on and so forth. It's become the most, probably the most uh, used psychological concept by the layman that we have. Oh, like the word complex. <laughs> I have invented it. Yes, that's right. association experiments. Yes, that's right. Well, you see, this is simply practical because there are certain people who definitely are more uh, influenced by their surroundings than by their own uh, intentions. While other people, while there are other people who are more influenced by the subjective factor. Now you see, the subjective factor, that's very characteristic, was understood by Freud as a sort of pathological uh, auto-erotism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now this is a mistake. You know, we have, the psyche has two conditions, two important conditions. One is the envi environmental influence, yes. 
and the other is the given fact of the, the, of the psyche as it is born. The psyche is not by no means tabula rasa, we are a definite mixture and combination of genes. Yeah. And they are there from the very first moment of our life. And they give a definite character, even to the little child. And that is a subjective factor looked at from the outside. Now, if you look at it from the inside, yes. then it is just so as if you would observe the world. Yes. When you observe the world, you see people, you see houses, you see the sky, uh, you see tangible objects. But when you observe yourself within, you see moving images, yeah. a world of images, yeah. uh, generally known as fantasies. Yeah. Uh, yet these uh, fantasies are facts. It is a fact that a man has such and such a fantasy. And it is such a tangible fact, for instance, that when a man has a certain fantasy, uh, another man may lose his life. Yeah. Or uh, a bridge is built. These houses were all fantasies. Yeah. Everything you do here, all of the houses, everything was fantasy to begin with. And fantasy has a proper reality. It is that is not to be forgotten. Fantasy is not nothing. It is of course not a tangible object, but it is a fact nevertheless. It is a, a see a form of energy. Yeah. Or, despite the fact we can't measure it. Yeah. It, it is a manifestation of something. And that is a reality that is just a, a, a reality as, for instance, the Peace Treaty or Versailles or something like that. It is no more, you can't show it. Yes. But it, 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 it has been a fact. Yes. Yes. And, and so uh, the, the psychical events are facts, are realities. And when you observe the stream of images within, you observe an aspect of the world of the world within. Because the psyche, you know, if you understand it as a phenomenon that takes place in so-called living bodies, uh, then it is a quality of matter. As our body consists of matter, we discover that this matter has another aspect, namely a psychic aspect. And so it is simply the world from within, seen from within. Yes. It is just as if you were seeing in another into another aspect of matter. Yes. Uh, this is an idea that is not my invention. The old Democritus already said, uh, talked of the spiritus insertus atomis, yes. namely the spirit that is inserted in atoms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that means psyche is a quality that appears in matter. Uh, doesn't matter whether we understand it or not. But this is the conclusion we come to. If we draw conclusions without prejudices. And so, you see, the man who is going by the external world, by the influence of the external world, say, society, or perceptions, uh, sense perceptions, thinks that he he is more valid, you know, because this is valid, this is real. And the man who goes by the subjective factor is not valid because subjective factor is nothing. 
No, that man is just as well based because he is based bases himself upon uh, the world from within. Yeah. And so he is quite right, even if he says, oh, this is nothing but my fantasy, you know. Yeah. And of course that is the introvert. That's the introvert is always afraid of, of the external world. He will tell you, when you ask him, you, you, he will be apologetic about it. Yeah. Of course, yes, I know about my fantasies. And, uh, and he has always a resentment, and that's the world in general, particularly America, is extroverted like hell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the introvert has no place. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, because he doesn't know that he beholds the world from within. Yeah. And that gives him dignity, and that gives him certainty, because it is nowadays particularly the the world hangs on a thin thread, yeah. and that is the psyche of man. Assume that uh, certain fellows in Moscow lose their nerve or their uh, common sense uh, for a bit, and uh, the whole world is in fire and flames. Yeah. It is, nowadays we are not threatened by elementary catastrophes. There is no such thing as an age bomb. That is all man's doing. Yeah. We are the great danger. The psyche is the great danger. What if something goes wrong with the psyche? Yeah. Yeah. See? And, <laughs> so you see, it is, it is demonstrated to us in our days what what the power of psyche is of man. How important it is to know something about it, but we know nothing about it. No, nobody would, uh, would give credit to the idea that uh, the psychical uh, uh, processes of the ordinary man have any importance whatever. One thinks, oh, he has just what he has in his head, he's all from his surrounding, he's all such and particularly if he's well housed and well fed, then he has no idea that the world. That's the great mistake. Because he is just that as which he is born, and he's not born as the of the house, but as a casual reality. Now, uh, of course, uh, one of the uh, very common, uh, I think, misconceptions of your work among some of the uh, writers in America has been that they have sort of uh, characterized your discussions of introversion and extroversion as suggesting that the world was made up of only two kinds of people, introverts on one yeah, hand and extroverts on the other. And I'm sure you've been aware of, in many of our first people looking at things this way. And uh, of course, we'd like to comment about that. In other words, uh, would you perceive the world being made up of only people or extreme introverts, people that are extreme extroverts? Well, you know, Bismarck once said,
in the title. This is, those are only terms to designate a certain penchant, a certain tendency. For instance, the tendency to be more influenced by environmental influences or more influenced by the subjective type. That's all. Yeah. And you see, there are uh, people who are very well balanced and are just as much influenced from within as they are from without. Yeah. Just as little. Yes. Uh, and so with all the, the, the binary classifications, you know, they, they are only a, a sort of point de repère, uh, points for orientation. Certainly then, uh, this whole matter of extremes, literary and expert, it just, it, as, you, as you say, it's sort of a scheme, a schematic approach to sort of uh, hang an idea, uh, an approach. Yeah. But it would be, if you say, ridiculous to say you that. You know, the whole, my whole scheme of, of typology is merely uh, a sort of orientation. Uh, namely, there is such a factor as introversion. There is such a factor as extroversion. The classification of individuals means nothing, nothing at all. This is only um, uh, the instrumentarium yes. for the psychology, practical psychologists uh, to explain, for instance, a husband to a wife or vice versa. For instance, it is very often the case, one could almost say, it is almost a rule, but I don't want to make too many rules in order not to be schematic. Yeah. Uh, that an, an introvert marries an extrovert for compensation, or another type marries a counter type to, to complement himself, for instance. Well, Dr. Jung, of course, uh, tied in with your typology and quotation marks of introversion and extroversion, uh, we uh, first know of your concepts of thinking, feeling, sensation, and intuition. And, of course, it would be very interesting to hear uh, uh, some expansion of the meaning of these particular terms as related to the introvert-extrovert dichotomy. Well, there is a, quite a simple explanation uh, of these terms, and it shows at the same time how I arrived at uh, such a uh, uh, typology. Uh, namely, sensation tells you that there is something. Thinking, roughly speaking, tells you uh, what it is. Feeling tells you whether it is agreeable or not to be accepted or not accepted or rejected. Yes. And intuition out there is a, a difficulty. Yes. You don't know ordinarily how intuition works. So when a man has a hunch, you can't tell exactly how he got that hunch, or where that hunch comes from. Uh, it is something funny about intuition. Uh, I will tell you a little story. I yeah, had two patients. Um, the, the man was a sensation type, and the woman was an intuitive type. Of course, they felt attraction. <laughs> and so they took a little boat and went out to the lake of Zurich. And, uh, and there were those uh, birds that dive of the fish, you know. Yeah. And then after a certain time they come up again, and you can't tell where they come up. And so they began to pit. Who first was the first to, uh, to see the bird. 
you would think that the one who observes reality very carefully, the sensation type, would of course win out. Yes. Not at all. The woman won the bet completely. Yeah. She she beat she uh, was beating him on all points. Yeah. Uh, because by intuition she knew it before. I see. <laughs> now how is that possible? Yeah. Uh, well, sometimes you know you can really find out how uh, it works uh, by finding the intermediate links. It is a, a perception uh, uh, by uh, intermediate links and you only get the result of that whole chain of yeah. associations. Yeah. Sometimes you succeed in finding out, yeah. but more often you don't. So, my definition is, intuition is a perception by ways or means of the unconscious. Yeah. That is as near as I can get. Uh, now, this is a very important function, because when you live under primitive conditions, a lot of unpredictable things are likely to happen. Yes. And there you need your intuition. Because you cannot possibly tell by your uh, perceptions, by your sense perceptions, what there is going to happen. For instance, you are traveling in primeval forest. You only see for a few steps ahead. You go by the compass, perhaps, and you don't know what there is ahead. It is uncharted country. If you use your intuition, then you have hunches. And when you live under such primitive conditions, you instantly are aware of hunches. Because there are places that are favorable, there are places that are not favorable. You can't tell for your life what it is. Yeah. But you better follow these, these hunches. Yeah. Uh, because anything can happen. And, uh, quite unforeseen things. For instance, at the end of a, of a long day, you approach a river, and you don't know that there is a river. Yet, uh, when you are come to the river, uh, that is quite unexpected. F for miles there is no human habitation. You cannot swim across, it's all full of crocodiles. Uh, so what? You see? Now, uh, such an obstacle hasn't been foreseen. But it may be that you have had a hunch that you remained in, in the last likely spot and that you wait for the following day that you can build a raft or something yeah. of the sort or look out for possibilities. Um, you, uh, for instance, you also can have intuitions in, in uh, that constantly happens in our jungle called a, a city. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can be, have a hunch, something is going wrong, uh, particularly when you are driving a, uh, an automobile. Yeah. For instance, you, um, it is a day uh, where nurses appear in the street. Yeah. And, and they always try to, to, to get uh, um, something interesting like a suicide, you know, yeah. to be run over. That's what marvelous, apparently. Yeah. And, and then, you know, uh, you get a peculiar feeling and uh, really at the next corner all it is a second nurse that uh, 
uh, runs in front of the automobile. Yeah. You see? Uh, duplicity of cases, you know. Yeah. Uh, that is a uh, rule, uh, you know, that uh, such chance happenings yeah. come in groups. Yeah. yeah. And so you see, we are constantly, we have constantly warnings, hints, that uh, of that consists perhaps in a in a slight feeling of uneasiness, uncertainty, fear. Uh, now, under premium circumstances, you will pay attention to these things. You, you, they, they mean something. With us in our man-made, absolutely apparently safe conditions, we don't need that function so so very much. Yeah. Yet uh, we, we we still use it. So you find them intuitive types, for instance, amongst bankers, Wall Street men. Yeah. They follow hunches, you know, gamblers of all descriptions. Yeah. Uh, you, you find the type very frequently among doctors yeah. because it helps them in their prognosis. Sometimes a case can look quite uh, normal, as it were and uh, you don't foresee any complications, yet an inner voice tells you now look out here is something not quite all right, you know. Yeah. You, you cannot tell why and how, but we have a lot of subliminal perceptions, you yes. know, yes. Uh, sense perceptions, and from those we probably draw a good deal of our intuitions, but that is Perception, by the way, of the unconscious, yeah. and you can you can observe that with intuitive types. You see, intuitive types very often do not perceive by their eyes or by their ears. They perceive by intuition. For instance, uh, once it happened that I had a, a woman patient in the morning at nine o'clock, and. Uh, uh, you see, I often smoke my pipe and have a certain smell of tobacco in the room or a cigar. And, and, uh, and so she, uh, she came and said, but you begin early, I said, you call it early at 9 o'clock? No, you, you must have seen somebody at 8 o'clock. I said, how do you know? There had been a man there uh, that uh, had come at 8 o'clock already. Uh, then she said, Oh, well, I just a hunch there must have been a gentleman with you this morning. I said, mm, uh, uh, but uh, how do you know it was a gentleman? He said, oh, well, I just had the impression uh, the atmosphere uh, <laughs> was just like, yeah. like a gentleman. Yeah. All the time, you know, the ashtray was under her nose, and there was a, a yeah. half-smoked cigar. <laughs> <laughs> But she wouldn't notice it. Yeah. So you see, the intuitive is the type that doesn't see, doesn't see the stumbling block before his feet. Uh, but but he is right for ten miles. Yeah. Um, you make a distinction between an intuitive extrovert yes. and an intuitive introvert. introvert yes. yes. All these types can be yes, on the either, either, either line. For example, more specifically, what would be an uh, example or a difference between an, an intuitive extrovert and an an intuitive introvert. Uh, well, you know, the uh, you have chosen <coughs> uh, 
a, a somewhat difficult uh, case, you know, because the one of the most difficult types is the intuitive introvert. Yeah, you know. I have. Uh, the intuitive extrovert, you find among hunters, bankers, yeah, gamblers. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, that is quite understandable. Yeah. But the introvert is, is the introvert uh, variety is more difficult because he has intuitions as to the subjective factor, namely the inner world. Yeah. And of course, that is now very difficult to understand uh, because what he sees uh, are most uncommon things. And uh, he doesn't like to talk of them yeah. if he's not a fool, because he he, he would uh, spoil his own game by telling what he sees, because people won't understand it. Yeah. Um, for instance, once I I had a patient, a young woman, about 20, 27 or eight, and her first words were when I had treated her. He said, you know, doctor, I come to you because I have a, a, a snake in my abdomen. He said, what? <laughs> yes, a snake, uh, a black snake, coiled up right in the, in, 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 in the bottom of my abdomen. And I must have made a rather uh, bewildered uh, face at her. And she said, you know, uh, I, I, I don't mean it literally, uh, <laughs> but uh, I should say it was a snake, it was a snake. <laughs> now, you see, our further conversation a little later was, as she said, uh, that was about in the middle of our treatment that only lasted for 10 consultations. And she had foretold me, I come 10 times and then it's all right. I said, how do you know? Oh, I got the hunch, you see. Yeah. And, and really, uh, about the fifth or sixth hour, she said, Doctor, I must tell you, uh, the snake has risen. It is now about here. <laughs> uh, hunch. And then, in, in, uh, on the tenth day, I said, now, this is our last hour. And do you feel cured? And she said, beaming, she said, you know, this morning, it came up <laughs> and came out of my mouth and the head was golden. Mm. And that, those were her last words. Mm. Now, you see that same girl, when it, came, came, when it comes to reality, she came to me because she couldn't hear the step of her, of her, uh, of her feet anymore. Yeah. Because she walked on air. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. She couldn't hear it, and that, that frightened her. And when she came to me, I asked her for her address. And then she said, oh, pension so-and-so. Uh, well, it is not just called, called pension, but it is a sort of pension. And it is, well, I never had heard of it. Yeah. And uh, now, I'm curious, I never have heard of that place. Well, it's a very nice place, isn't it? Uh, Curious enough, there are only young girls, they are very nice and very lively young girls and they have a merry time. I often wish they would invite me to their merry evenings and I say, but uh, they amuse themselves all uh, alone. Oh no, there are plenty of young gentlemen coming in 
and uh, they have a, a beautiful time, but they never invite me. It turned out that it was a private portal. Yes. <laughs> and she was a perfectly decent girl, you know, of a very good family. Not from here. She, um, she had found some place, I don't know how. And, and she was utterly unaware that they also had all prostitutes. <laughs> and so for heaven's sake, you, you fell in the, into, into a very dark place. You, you, you hastened to get out of it. Uh, you see, that is, was her sensation. Yeah. See, she yeah. doesn't see, see reality. Yeah. But she had hunches like anything. And they yeah. came off. Yeah. Now, you see, such a person cannot possibly speak of it. Uh, of her experiences, yeah. because everybody would think she's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I myself was, was quite shocked when I thought, for heaven's sake, is that case a schizophrenia? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you don't hear that kind of speech. Right. But she assumed that the old man, of course, knows everything, and he even doesn't under, uh, understand such kind of language. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you see, if uh, when well, or when the in, intuitive uh, um, uh, the uh, introverted intuitive yes. uh, would speak what he really perceives, then practically nobody would understand it. He would be misunderstood, and so they learn to keep things to themselves, and you hardly ever hear them talking of these things. That is a great disadvantage, but it is an enormous advantage in another way. Uh, not to speak of the uh, experience they got in that respect, but also in human relations. For instance, they come into the presence of somebody they don't know, and certainly they have inner images. And those inner images give them a more or less complete information about the psychology of the partner. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is, uh, but it of case can also happen that they come into, pre into the presence of somebody who they don't know at all, not from Adam, and they know an important piece out of the biography of that person. Yes, yes. And are not aware of it, and tell the story. Yes. Uh, and then the fact is in the fire. You see, so the the introverted intuitive is is uh, has a, in a way a very difficult life, although one of the most interesting lives. Yes. But it is difficult often to get into their confidence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because if you say they're afraid that people will think they're, they're, they're sick. The things they in, that yeah. that are interesting to them or are vital to them are utterly strange to the ordinary individual. Uh, the psychologists should know of such things, you see. Yes. You see, when, when people make psychology as a psychologist ought to do, well, it, it, the very first question, is he extroverted or is he introverted? Yes. He will look at entirely different things. Yes. Is he a sensation type? Is he an in, in, intuitive type? Is he thinking? Is he feeling? Yes. That, because, you see, these things are complicated that they are, they are still more complicated because the introverted thinker, for instance, is compensated by extroverted feeling, yeah. or by inferior extroverted, archaic extroverted feeling. Yeah. 
So an introvert would think it may be very crude in his uh, feeling life, for instance. The introverted philosopher um, that is always carefully avoiding women will be married by his cook in the end. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, then, in, in other words, then we can take your introvert, extrovert categories and, in a sense, go through uh, describing a sensation introvert type, sensation extrovert type, thinking introvert type, thinking extrovert type, and so on. In each case, it stems from really not real categories, but simply, if you say, an approach or something to uh, sort of uh, help us yes. uh, study a model. It's just a, a sort of uh, a skeleton uh, to which you have to add the, the flesh, or uh, say you, it is uh, a country mapped out, you know, by triangulation points, and that doesn't mean the country consists of triangulation points. Yeah, that is only in order to to have an idea of the distances. Yeah, and and, and so it is. Uh, uh, a means to an end. It only makes sense uh, such a scheme when when you have when you deal with practical cases. Of course, uh, you're familiar with the work of uh, Dr. J. B. Ryan at Duke University, yes, yes, yes. and uh, of course, some of his um, work in extrasensory perception and clairvoyance, he called yes, it yes. Uh, mental telepathy, you know, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah. Um, some of the descriptions in his work sound quite a bit at times, like intuitive yeah, function yeah, operating. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in terms of your knowledge of this work, would you say that uh, a person who has clairvoyance, in a sense, would then be an intuitive type? person mm -hmm. in his experiment <laughs> is more likely to... <coughs> That's quite probable. Or um, it can be um, a sensation type uh, say an extrovert sensation type that is very much influenced by the unconscious. I see. Because he has introverted intuition in his unconscious. I see. You see, there are two groups, you see, the rational group and the irrational group. The rational group is thinking and feeling, because the ideal thinking is a rational result. Feeling also a rational result, rational values. Yes. That is differentiated feeling. Whereas sensation must needs be irrational because it may it may not prejudice facts. Yes. You see? Yeah. It shall not prejudice uh, facts. Uh, the, the, the real uh, ideal perception is that you have an accurate perception of the things as they are without addition or corrections. Yeah. On the other side, the intuition uh, does not look at the things as they are. That is prison, that is another motive yeah. intuition. Yeah. It looks oh, ever so shortly at the things as they are and makes off into an unconscious process at the end of which we have seen something nobody else would have seen. Yeah. Okay. Now, so we see these uh, people who, who yield the best results are always those people were introverted uh, or uh, introverted uh, intuition comes in. Yeah. But uh, you see, that is 
uh, a side aspect of it. It's not interesting. Yeah. And the third question, there's another question far more interesting, namely that, that the terms they use, Rhein himself uses the yeah. recognition, etc. They mean nothing at all. Yeah. There was, but he thinks he has said something when he says telepathy. Yeah. That's something. In other words, the word itself is not a description of the process. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Means nothing. Means nothing yeah. at all. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, a lot of the things that you're describing, I think, often uh, scientists will say, well, this is due to chance, chance occurrences, chance factors. And Ryan yeah. and his own work use statistical methods. We find this happening more often than would be expected by chance. Well, you see, he proves that it is more than chance. Yeah. It is statistically graspable. Yeah. And that is the important point. Yes. And that hasn't been contradicted. Yeah. You see, there was a, a poor sap uh, that happened in England. The man said, Oh, Ryan, well, that's nothing but, but guesswork. Exactly. Yeah. That is it. It's guessing. Yeah. What you call guessing? A hunch is guessing. Yeah. Uh, a bit of definite guess. A definite guess, you know, is a hunch, you know. Yeah. Just that. Yeah. But that means nothing. Yeah. You see, the point is that it is more than, than merely probable. Yeah. It is not, it is, it is beyond chance. And that is the great problem. And, but you know, people hate such problems. They can't deal with yeah, They're not concrete. They're not in front of them. Uh, they can't deal with it. With it. Yeah. Even Rhein doesn't understand my argument in that uh, respect. Because it is a, a relativation. Now I'm going to say something which in, in these sacred rooms is anathema. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a re relativation of time and space through the psyche. That's the fact. Yeah. That is what Wright has uh, uh, made evident. Yeah. Now swallow that. <laughs> well, that's that's if you could. Yeah. Well, may I may I go a little further and uh, for some of your recent work, uh, which is indeed very profound and. Uh, it is not too well known to many of our students. Of yet. course not. And of course, this nobody reads these things. <laughs> only the general public. <laughs> and because I, my books have at least sold. <laughs> uh, I'm referring now to uh, the the concept of synchronicity, which you have discussed, yeah. and uh, which would have some relevance at this point in our discussion. Uh, would you care to comment a little bit? And well, this that is that is awfully complicated. We don't know where to where to, to begin. Of course, it is uh, this kind of, uh, of thinking has been started uh, long ago. Uh, uh, and uh, when Rhein uh, uh, brought out these results, uh, I, I thought now we have at least a, a more or less dependable basis uh, to argue on. You know. But the argument was not understood at all, uh, because it's it's really very very difficult. Um, uh, you know there are plenty of facts in, in in the observation of the unconscious where you come across uh, cases of a very peculiar kind uh, of. 
parallel uh, events, namely that, say, I have a certain thought um, or a certain uh, definite uh, subject uh, is occupying my attention, yeah. my interest. At the same time, something else, quite independently, happens that portrays just that uh, thought. Yeah. Now, uh, this is utter nonsense, you know, from a, looked at from a causal point of view. That it is not nonsense is made evident by the results of Ryan's experiments. Uh, there is a probability, uh, it is something more than chance, that such a case occurs. Now I have, uh, um, I never made statistical experiments yeah. to, uh, except one um, in, the, in the way of Ryan. Uh, I have made one for, for another purpose. Um, but I have come across quite a number of cases where it was most astounding to find that uh, two causal chains happened at the same time, but independent upon, uh, upon each other. So that you could say they have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. Of course, it's quite clear. For instance, just so I speak of a, of a, of a red uh, car, and at that moment, a, a red car comes here, you see. Yes. Now, I haven't seen it. It was impossible because it was behind the building. In this moment, the red car appears. Now, this is, was it, oh, that's mere chance. The Rice ex experiment proves that these cases are not mere chances. Of course, uh, uh, many of these things are occurrences where we cannot apply such an argument, otherwise we would be superstitious. We can't say, now this car has appeared because here was, uh, some remarks have been made about the red car. Yes. It's not cause and effect. Oh, this is yes. a miracle that yes. the red car appears. It is not, it is chance, yes. just chance. But these chances happen uh, more the, uh, more often than chance allows. Yes. And that shows that there is something behind it. Yeah. So, you see, in, in uh, Rhein has a whole institute and with many yeah. co-workers yes. and has the means, we have no means here, you know, and I had no means to make such an uh, experience, otherwise I probably would have done it. But uh, I, uh, it is just was physically impossible. So I had to content myself with the observation of facts. Okay, we're back. After that incredible interview with the legend, the man himself, Carl Jung. That was Richard Evans interviewing him in 1957. I thought he did an okay job. If you count the number of times he said yes, got a dollar for one of those yeses You'd probably be a millionaire after that interview i'm not really sure how many times he said the word yes but he definitely said it a significant amount of times 
And still, when it was question time, he came through. So great job, Richard Evans. You probably graduated as well. Maybe you're still here. But that was really cool. And I'm really glad we listened to that interview because it was towards the end of Carl's life. And he just kind of touched on the greatest hits of all of his life's work. I mean, of course, there's so much more. There's many layers. But the interviewer did a good job of touching on all the PowerPoints. It was a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> or, or all the power principles or just the key things that Carl Jung brought to humanity. Ego, persona, self, introvert, extrovert. And new ones that I didn't know about, intuitive extrovert, intuitive introvert. And he said a lot. I mean, the persona, what is it? And really, before I ask Bryn to <laughs> elaborate on some of her notes, I'm just going to point out that he said everything with a very thick accent, of course, but he said everything in a very plain language. So these very deep psychological concepts that he channeled he is the one explaining them to you in a very plain way. So what did you think about that, Bryn? Is that a good interview or what? Yeah, it was a good interview. Um, he has fun anecdotal stories of, you know, people he's worked with. So that's always interesting. Um, and it's funny when he cracks himself up. So <laughs> yes. It's fun to listen to. Do you, do you think people have five different personalities and then, that's their persona and then their ego is something else. I mean, I guess we can't not agree with Carl Jung or can we disagree? I mean, <laughs> I don't know who's to say. I don't know that there would be much point in disagreeing or agreeing per se. I mean, he said some people have up to five personalities. It wasn't everybody. How many do you have? I don't know because that was part of his point too was that you're not... A a personality A is not aware of B, but C might be aware of A. And so who knows? I don't know. It's wow. yeah, there's a lot going on. But it was interesting that in all of the different areas he talked about, it all came back to sort of ways that the subconscious was coming to the surface. Yes, the subconscious is in control of the conscious mind. It all starts with that unconscious subconscious. That's what's powering the individual right often without the individual or all the time as he says you don't know what the subconscious is doing that's why it's subconscious if i need to repeat myself so was like, be clear on that uh but there's times where it comes through with the hunches the intuition the dreams the i thought that was interesting the dream part where he talks about people foreseeing the rise of Hitler in World War II. And I do remember the last Carl Jung episode that we did. He talked about that with a different interviewer, but he elaborated on that a little bit more. And he saw that coming. He saw war, Europe, all these things were coming through about to hit the temporal space of that time. But somewhere outside of that, there was information about what was coming in the future, coming through that present time. It's all really mind-blowing because it's coming from the collective unconscious and everything's a manifestation of that in a way, or we're co-creating reality with our collective unconscious. Right. Wow. That was fascinating. And to think he must have 
talked to a lot of different people and you know he was saying oh they think i'm a prophet but i'm just listening to people they laughed and at being a prophet yeah that you know he's just literally listening to what's coming through people's subconscious and that's uh, pretty fascinating for also for him to be aware of that to have that cognizance of you know or at least his idea of what he thinks is happening and then to see it come into physical manifestation. So I wonder if they do that. Like he suggested, if you want to see the future, study the dreams and the unconscious manifestations that people are experiencing in the moment. I wonder if 60 years later, 60 plus years later, if there is some sort of think tank Institute or some group of humans that do read the future based on that type of information, maybe when you Google search your dreams, they're logging that. Like I have, what does this dream mean? Things like that. Perhaps they're using that information to then utilize this method that Carl Jung was talking about in this interview. Really cool stuff. Who knows? That's definitely a possibility. Um, Something that caught my attention was when he was talking about fantasy and said everything is fantasy to begin with, which just made me think to back to many of the other people that we've listened to who've talked about this in different in different ways where they've said, you know, thoughts are things or that thoughts are things or that we, you know, create the things that we think about or, or how important our words are. And But he used the word fantasy to describe that, um, that everything begins with a fantasy. And so all of our human manifestation in the third dimension comes from those fantasies. And it's just, you know, another, another person saying that um, from a different time and a different, um, you know, he's a psychologist. And so there's just, I don't know, it was a different methodology but oh, the cool. same information coming through. Yes. Fantasy has real energy because it's a fact that you had that fantasy. And then once it becomes truth, the truth has an energy signature and energy pattern. I think I'm just still trying to process what he's saying. He's still mind blowing, even though that recording was so long ago. And he was talking about Hitler taking on the hero myth and the hero aspect before Joseph Campbell, that's kind of something that Joseph Campbell picked up the reins on and expanded on immensely, the hero's journey. But here was Carl Jung talking about that and noticing that as well. Now, he didn't say that Hitler was a hero. Of course, Hitler's not a hero. But what he did say was that that is the weird kind of role that he assumed in the collective conscious and unconscious of Germany at that time. Very, very interesting stuff. And of course, you know, he's creating all these things. And then he says classification means nothing. At the end of the day, he said they're just reference points. They're not meant to put people in boxes. They're just meant to kind of be like sort of guideposts. And that's about as far as he went with it. Yes, they're there, but they're not the be all end all. It's not like a rigid, hard, concrete classification. Right. He was saying that you use them in order to explain one person to another more than anything, that it's, it doesn't mean anything per se. If you're an introvert, then, you know, X, Y, Z, your life has to be this way. It's more how to explain, 
you know, how a person perceives the world or how their unconscious is operating compared to another person. But yeah, certainly not the be all end all. I thought it was interesting how he was talking about the generational unconscious, that there are those patterns that are passed down for centuries. And that's something I feel like is coming more to the surface now as it's, you know, a lot of people are talking about ancestral memories and traumas and different things. And, and that's something that he kind of dropped way before it's time. I think when people weren't really thinking about what that meant or how Mm. to unpack it. Well, he was the one creating all of this or at least channeling it and putting it in understandable, digestible packages for our little tiny monkey brains. No, I don't know. <laughs> but he was definitely a genius in that respect. And he did inject some spirituality into it when he talked about the spirit that's inserted in Adams. He injected it in the conversation and he talked about the spirit injected in Adams, essentially saying that everything's made out of that thing. Yes, it can be broken down into the small, small part, but you can't take away that which powers it. And we know what that is. People, we all know it's mysterious. I don't want to name it. Let's not give it a name. Let's just know it. Let's just feel it. Let's just realize what it is. And one thing that he brought up, which I thought was an incredible point, was that the most dangerous force on the planet or one of them is the human psyche. Because when this human psyche is out of control or damaged and in a position to cut loose and create recklessness, then they do those things. He was talking about nuclear war with Russia then. I mean, here we are in 2023. It's still a topic. 70 years ago, they were talking about that. So the psyche, the human psyche, the power of the psyche and the decision-making and all of that, the damage, the healing, everything that goes along with the psyche is really this incredible force, this power that, that we need to understand in order to keep it from running amok and doing something catastrophic. Yeah, the quote I wrote down about that was, the world hangs on a thin thread, which is the psyche of man. So there you go. There you go. And uh, to observe the psyche within, you observe a piece of the world. So that again, it's that manifestation of everybody's collective psyche. It's uh, super interesting to tunnel into. Yes. And he talks about synchronicity. He touched on all his greatest hits, really synchronicity, intuition, and related to that, he talked about those subliminal sense perceptions and you don't notice you're picking up on it, but your unconscious mind, this separate mind is processing information and giving it to you in a way that you're perceiving as intuition. He talked about the half smoked cigar, assuming of course that it was a man in the room because he knew and Really, I was just honored to have him back on the show, to have an interviewer go through some questions that were really good and just preserve this. We need to preserve this interview within this podcast because everything that he said was timeless and amazing and coming directly from the source. Like you can't argue with Carl Jung. If you go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and you let them know that classification means nothing because you heard it directly from Carl Jung. They can't say anything. What are they going to say? No, that's <laughs> wrong. Like point them here, bring them to this episode and show them that part, show them the whole episode. 
And it's just super cool that through the miracle of recording, we can just do this and, and bring him here with us. Bryn, did you have any last points that you wanted to bring up about this episode? It was pretty cool. Impromptu, of course. Like I said, uh, please pray for Don Webb and then he heals and that he can come back on the show in due course. But Bryn, anything else? I think that just about covers it. That was a great interview. Yeah, for its time. Uh, and we got a lot out of it. I feel super blessed. So, And I feel super blessed that you're here with me on this episode. Absolutely. Again, Thanks for having me. Guest co-host. <laughs> super fun and great to listen to Carl Jung. And uh, I also very much appreciate that these interviews are preserved. Yeah. We're learning from them. We're learning from the guests that are still here in this dimension. We're learning from the guests that have graduated. Yeah. You said you'd like it to eventually just be interviews and be on the news, but I have to say, I really like the, the guests from beyond the veil. Beyond the veil. There you go. Yes. They're, they're wanting to get on the show as we know. So Carl Jung was tapping me on the spiritual shoulder and saying, Hey, <laughs> want to come back on again? Your friend, he's sick. I come back on. I don't know. That was a terrible, terrible Swiss accent. So thank you everyone. <laughs> you work for, on your accent. I will. Thank you everyone <laughs> for joining us this week, this impromptu episode. It was actually really good. I'm glad we did it. We have this new information from Carl Jung, new to us. So we'll see you next week. Midnight on Earth.